Hi folks, I'm Duncan Gill, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I'm Victoria Lee, licensed clinical mental health counselor, and welcome to Is There a Med for That? The podcast about teen mental health and behavioral problems and what to do about them. Victoria and I have been working for uh, years together with kids. Sometimes we use therapy, sometimes medication, sometimes we give some guidance to parents. And sometimes kids just need to be left alone. We don't have all the answers, but we probably have some of them. We'll do our best to share what we've learned over the years working with struggling kids and their families. We hope you enjoy the show and we can be helpful to those who have taken on the hardest job in the world, being a parent. Here we are, Victoria. Our very first podcast together. It's actually not our first podcast. I want to thank Oscar and, and Jasmine for giving this much more professional studio, yeah. professional equipment. We actually tried our first podcast uh, at my house and uh, some amateur equipment, and we really couldn't get past the first couple lines without laughing. So hopefully this professional studio will help, and um, maybe people will even take us a little bit seriously, yeah. which would be a mistake. Agreed. We, yeah, we did try once. Uh, we laughed the whole time. We had some fun, and we hope to bring the fun into this conversation, too. Maybe we should tell them a little bit about who we are and what we're hoping to do. Sure. Uh, I'm Duncan Gill. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist, as I said in the intro. He likes to throw the doctor out there a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the MD. Um, yeah, so uh, I grew up in Massachusetts and went undergrad to Harvard and then went medical school at Saba University School of Medicine, which actually, actually was more interesting. It was a tiny little Caribbean island. And um, anyways, I have, I have pictures I can share on social Ooh, media if anybody's interested. I want to see that. Uh, yeah, I don't think you've seen them yet. No. Okay. Anyways, I did uh, med school there for two years and then did two years rotating through um, uh, hospitals in the U.S., which was interesting. And um, finally, uh, did residency and fellowship in Connecticut and came up, did my first job in New Hampshire, where we are now. Did you mention Harvard yet? I did. I sort of okay. threw it in there. I didn't want to dwell on it, though. Okay. Uh, I was a good student It's there. worth anything. At least the street credit gives you. <laughs> Thanks. For, I wanted you to bring it up, not me. <laughs> Ah, so anyway, started my first job, did four years as an outpatient psychiatrist in uh, Nashua with, um, at the Community Mental Health Center, and then um, said, hey, I kind of want to do my own thing, and opened up Direction, which I can talk about in a few minutes. But uh, Victoria, you want to share who, who you are? Yeah, so as I said, I'm Victoria. Um, I grew up in Massachusetts, too. We have that in common. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, hang them, so sure. Okay, good. Um, I started my, I got my undergrad in sociology, so I learned a lot about groups and how people and families and groups, um, you know, come together to create part of who we are. And that really influenced me finding out that I want to do more psychology stuff, not just sociology. And I got my master's degree in counseling at Goddard College in Vermont. Um, during that time, I was doing some internships. Um, one of them was with a program called Kids Apart, and I worked with mothers who were incarcerated and their children who were back at home living with grandparents and other caregivers and helped facilitate their relationship. And that was when I really um, dove into families, I'd say. That's when I got um, very interested in helping adolescents in particular. Uh, and then I graduated um my undergrad, that was during my undergrad. And then when I got my master's degree was after I was already working at Direction. But I worked at National Children's Home. I'm also a master's level drug and alcohol counselor. So I've done a lot of work with folks with various addictions. Um, and I currently also have a private practice that I run with my husband um, that I see individual 
patients. And um, but a lot of our main focus here is really the work we do um, with the adolescents and at Direction. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, Open Direction, I think 14 years ago now. And um, it's a a model called Intensive Outpatient Program. And there's a partial hospitalization program as well I can go into. But it was a model I saw in Connecticut and didn't see here in New Hampshire. Um, It's a level of care in between outpatient treatment and inpatient treatment. And um, yeah, so, so we get kids between age of 12 and 18, although we sometimes cheat and go a little bit low and a little bit high, uh, depending. And they come, they come to see us daily for about three hours, three to five hours a day, um, weekdays. We, we take the weekends off. We give them the weekends off. <laughs> yeah. Um, they would not show up on the weekends. <laughs> Neither would you. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, anyways, we provide, I do med, meds, uh, uh, med management. Uh, Victoria runs the group and sort of takes care of everything else. And uh, we do some family work, and um, we've had a lot, of, a lot of fun. We've done about 3,000 kids over the years, and um, you know, we've, we've, we've talked a lot about kids. Yeah, and I, think, and I think a big leap of faith that you and Joe, who started the program with you, took was in the approach you guys decided to use at Direction in that, uh, which is called holistic education, which maybe someday we do a whole podcast on. But the premise is we give up control. We seek authority, but we give up control. And so the program and our approach to parenting is based on relationships, putting first things first. And that's what we help parents do in in our program when they come to the parenting component of it. And I think that's really been the magic um, a lot in our program is it's different than a lot of other mental health programs, which are often very controlled based or highly structured. They don't want kids to necessarily um, be friends, be friends. Even that's another unique thing about our program is that we don't stop kids from having friendships, forming friendships. And that's an extension of this giving up control. Uh, and I, you know, I wasn't there at the very beginning. I joined a couple of years after direction was off and running and Joe recruited me. You wanted to make sure it was off the ground? Yeah, yeah. I, I let Duncan take the lead with that. I didn't even know you then. <laughs> no, no, I didn't know you either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's usually how that works. I love that. <laughs> um, but he pulled me and Joe recruited me. And yeah, I was really impressed with what I saw. I was working in National Children's Home at the time. And they also used that approach. Um, and so I, I loved joining and teaming up and being in a program where even an MD could work and see that the meds were only a piece of even it. Even an MD. Even a, <laughs> a lowly MD. <laughs> Someone's got to keep him a little bit grounded, you know? <laughs> I meant that as a compliment because I, I think Duncan is um, a unique psychiatrist. And I think increasingly this is getting popular in the field, but, um, you know, 14 years ago or so, um, you know, having, knowing that you're just a piece of the puzzle and willing to, um, look at other things before you just prescribe or in working on the relationship with the kids. And that's what we try to help parents with. And through our podcast, we want to help other parents. Um, I guess maybe we should talk about this piece, but reach more parents because what we're coming up against right now is that we have a wait list for our program and there's a huge need for adolescent mental health treatment. Um, and there just isn't enough providers out there and programs to meet this high demand. And so we thought, how could we help more kids? How can we help more families? And we thought if we could get our message out there and help invite parents to 
take a look at our approach and the way we relate with kids, in particular teenagers, um, we could maybe start to help more kids and families. Absolutely. Um, did a lot of work uh, sort of building the program and making it sure it functioned and taking care of 10, 12, 15 kids at a time. And then I'm getting close to the magic age of 50 and saying, I'd like to help more than that. Yeah. Uh, particularly with the wait list with the pandemic, we have something like, I don't know, 30 kids in the wait list. The ERs are full, uh, bursting at the seams. And frankly, the it's sort of a disaster here in New Hampshire. It is uh, over the country, or I think particularly because of the increased need. Uh, kids who have been quarantined, and we've talked about this, uh, sort of turning to social media is their only way of uh, connecting with the outside world. And we're trying to, uh, I want to say, repair some of the damage there. But um, something else, um, we have a lot of fun doing what we do. Um, I listen to some of the mental health podcasts and I think there are good ones out there, but they're very serious. And uh, we wanted to take a little bit of a different of approach. Um, we do the same thing when kids come in for intakes. Uh, kids don't want to talk to you if you're really serious. Mm -hmm. um, so we do a lot of laughing. At least we entertain ourselves. Occasionally the kids will do a sympathy chuckle as well. But um, it's, it's my favorite part of the job is meeting the kids, yeah. getting to know them. Um, everybody who works there really has a lot of different interests. And uh, you have to find some way to connect with kids, whether it's mm -hmm video games or um, Which Duncan basketball. has a problem with. Yeah, well, let's not talk about that. Right <laughs> That'll be a separate uh, podcast. Yeah, we're talking about Duncan's addiction <laughs> I'm not going to be games. here for that one. <laughs> <laughs> She's been trying to do an intervention for years, folks. But um, anyway, where was I? You distracted me. Sorry, that's what video games do. That's that's my addictions are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> this is my ADHD, too. Anyways, yeah, love meeting the kids, and particularly the ones who don't want to be there, and sour-faced and rolling their eyes when their parents are talking, and then you kick the parents out, and, and very often you can uh, hook those kids. Yeah. Not always. Occasionally we'll get somebody who, who won't budge, but yeah. usually at least they'll uh, talk to you a little bit, even if they don't come back. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we've had a lot of fun over the years. And um, I wrote a book recently. Can I do plugs in this? Yeah. It's sweet. Okay. We wrote a book, um, Art of Direction, and... Just published it a year ago. I wrote it with my partner, Joe. Sadly, passed away a year ago as well. But you'll probably hear us talk a lot about him and his yeah. influence and quirks and personality. And left a, a very strong legacy on direction. Yes. He's a giant in our life still. He is. So, yeah, we want to cover a lot of different topics here. Um, we deal with, we say, just problems big and small. And um, it gets as big as... Kids who've been suicidal and suicide attempts and schizophrenia and um, autism. We have kids with basically uh, every kind of problem. And sometimes parents are the problem and kids, kids would do well if they were left more alone. We try to help parents kind of uh, come to better balance uh, with that. We sometimes see kids who are probably absolutely normal, at least that's our opinion. And oftentimes a little reassurance goes a long way with the parents. Um biological things, sort of what we call chemical imbalances. I do a lot more with the meds on that. But it's been great working with such a good team of um, therapists and non-med providers. Um, it truly keeps a perspective on how much is biological and both the, the strengths but the limitations of meds mm -hmm. and trying to figure out when to use them and when not to. And that's going to be sort of a gist of this show. Um, 
And Victoria, I have developed a great relationship, and I'll just go to her and I'll say, do you think there's a med for this? And sometimes she gets tired of particular kids. She'll come and say, is there a med for that? Yeah. So we often try to pawn off difficult kids on each other. Mm-hmm. But um, we've really come to uh, a really good understanding and trying to tease this very difficult uh, picture apart as to what's genetic and biological and what is development. Yeah. And a lot of the work we do is even just working with kids on individuating from their parents and launching, so to speak, who are they in the world, um, you know, as they face leaving childhood and taking on the responsibilities of adulthood. We see a lot of kids are struggling with that nowadays. It can be terrifying. Um, and I don't know if this was the same 20 plus years ago. I wasn't in the field then. Um, but I think increasingly we're seeing that the failure to launch with kids and helping <laughs> them to helping them to launch by deciding who they want to be, taking on more responsibilities and seeing it as um, something that can be rewarding versus just um, a pain in the ass, really. <laughs> I think you can say ass on this okay. show. I think Jasmine said we could say anything we want. Ooh. I was trying to wait a little bit, but if you want to launch into okay. the first podcast, be my guest. <laughs> it's a freeing moment. Yeah, I feel um, liberated already. And that goes right to the heart of what, what part of our the heart of our approach is this giving up control and helping kids feel liberated. And one of the secrets, and this is for other providers out there, try it out. Even just letting kids swear, right? That can be huge in the program just to speak freely and not feel that there's this, um, there's this control imposed on them from an adult just because why, because we just want to have that, that role in their life. Um, and we find that even some kids who can come in and, you know, drop an F-bomb here and there, that alone is therapy enough for them, and they're taken seriously still, and they aren't punished for it, and we can speak freely and be on the same level with them. It's, it's a great huge. way for us, too. Uh, sometimes a kid doesn't know exactly what to make you. The right kid dropping the F-bomb ourselves during the intake um, for the right kid can make a big difference. Uh, they'll laugh or be really taken off guard. Just being real. Being real. And... That sometimes causes problems actually with the parents who I think have an understandable concern that if we're allowing swearing and the kind of stuff we allow to go on, making friends and that kind of thing in our program, you know, that's endorsing it at home, which it really isn't. Mm -hmm. But um, our approach of really being free with the kids and allowing as much as we can sometimes takes parents aback. Mm -hmm. But it's important for them to understand that we're really the person we're really trying to help is a kid. And, um, if we connect with a kid, even at the expense of some comfort of the parent, it's worth it. And parents usually understand that. Yeah. And with the swearing, it comes down to the relationship. We're trying to put relationship first. And if whoever you're talking to is offended by a swear, we want to, we want to make sure we're not being offensive. So we don't recommend maybe dropping the F bomb in front of grandma or parents if they don't like it, but in front of people who aren't offended by it, there's no need to have this pretense of, you know, like that I'm offended just because you're a kid and I'm an adult. We drop those rigid roles and we take more relationship first. That's right. And um, some of the kids occasionally uh, will always ask or uh, we'll get a younger kid in particular who really is uncomfortable with swearing. And, and it's incumbent on really anybody not to because yeah. um, just like being at home. So, uh often last directly to you mind swearing and I'd say 95% of the people say, Oh no, I do it all the time. or My mom does all the time. Or, yep. um, it makes it really difficult to raise kids yourself though. When you're swearing at work, I've found, uh, Victoria, I think you recently found that, um, 
You taught your children some new words. Yes, which I'm hope I'm I hope I teach my kids lots of new words, <laughs> right? Because they're young, um, but they try them all on, and so we're teaching them discernment. Um, but being in this field, um, having worked in the parenting field prior to being a parent, has been a real gift. Um, and then becoming a parent was a, another gift because now I get to, you know, I can talk the talk and walk the walk with my own kids. And like we said in the intro, I think, you know, the hardest job in the world is being a parent, but it's also the most rewarding. What did you say recently? Um, the only thing worse than having kids is not having kids. Did I say that? Yeah, it was really profound in the moment. He sometimes does this. He says these really profound things and uh, surprises me. Sometimes really stupid way. things, <laughs> well, too. Well, that too, but, but that's fun. <laughs> Keeps it real. Um and I think, you know, and what that captures for me is that being a parent, it's challenging and difficult because we care so much and we love our kids so much. And it's the totality. It's a whole other human being, autonomous human being that we're trying to raise in a pro-social way, but balance with that autonomy. And um, it's challenging, but to not have that in life um, for some of us, I mean, a lot of people, I think, don't have kids and are very content with that, and that's great. Um, but as parents, sometimes it's important to remind ourselves what, the, what it would look like without our kids and what being a parent has taught us about our own life and about reality. And, um, yeah, it's been a, quite a journey being my, a parent myself and working in the field on top of it. But I've learned a lot of good stuff prior to becoming a parent that has made a difficult job um, more beneficial um, in my own development and enriching in my life. Yeah, and I, I said in the opening that we don't have all the answers. We, we no. have some, but uh, it's been humbling as a parent of relatively recently grown teenagers. Um, well, I had an easier time with teens than I did it with younger kids, but uh, don't want to prepare, excuse me, don't want to pretend we have all the answers, nor do we always practice what we uh, preach? Um, I get exhausted as a parent. And when the kids were younger in particular, I, I didn't know if I'd do this the first podcast, but I've done some embarrassing things with kids over the years. I threatened uh, to tear up my daughter's homework when I was angry at her <laughs> and then immediately regret it. Once I gave her the finger and she was about nine and I haven't gotten over that. I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast, but... Um, you do that kind of thing and immediately try to repair the damage by showing her what you do when you do something really stupid and immature. So I went and apologized to her, and uh, I don't know if she's thought about it since, but I sure have. Yeah, the humility that parenting can give us, right, that we're all just doing our best. Um, and I think that's another thing. Like, through our podcast, I hope that um, as we get going, we can have parents call in with their real struggles, and we can talk to them like answer their questions. Um, so we thought that would be a good way too to help parents directly and help improve struggles at home, but just keep it real. Yeah, and um, we won't be tired at the time probably, so we won't be the ones in the throes of it, yes. which often makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, perspective's a lot different when uh, you're at work or not exhausted and it's not, you don't have to take the child home at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's also you're not their parents. So I think we have a lot easier role with them, especially as teenagers, because it's normal for them to want to seek advice elsewhere. They're starting that individuation phase where they want some space or trying to figure out who, who are they and to have trusted adults in their life that they, that care about them and can be honest and real with them is really essential. I think to anyone's development, finding mentors and people that you grant influence to so that you allow to influence you 
in your thoughts and feelings and help guide you. And so by not being their parent, we're already one step ahead. Absolutely. It's one of the secrets to the trade. It is. And parents are in uh, really a different position with their own kids. Uh, kids are trying to individuate, as, as Vicki said. They're trying to prove that they're their own person and becoming adults and don't like to be told what to do. And their parents are sort of at ground zero for that. So kids will often talk to us in ways they won't talk to their parents. It can be difficult as a parent to, to, to do that. And I could imagine um, having your kid go to therapy and have them open about th up about things that they won't talk uh, with you about. It's very difficult. But uh, it's part of growing up is asserting your independence. It's part of... Uh, parents' job to make sure their, their children stay alive to 18. So there's a huge tension between what we call separation and individuation. And that's probably 60% of what we do. Yeah, agreed. What do you say often in the intake to parents? The good news is some of this will go away because they're just teenage. How do you put it? You always say it. <laughs> yeah, what do I say? I have no idea what I say. I say something <laughs> about uh, um, the good news is... Um, they won't be teenagers so, Yeah, the, yeah, the bad news is your, your kid has a problem. The good news is they're going to grow in about two years. Um, but teens are, it makes it difficult to deciding what's psychiatric and needs, uh, you know, medication attention and what isn't because teens go through all these crazy changes in the mm -hmm. brains. Brainstorm. And, and some of it's, it's absolutely physical. Just brains are changing. And some of it is, I don't know, none of it, it can't be measured. Yep. But um it's all what we do. And I think there's an increased awareness of mental health issues, which is a blessing. It's less taboo to talk about. More people are aware of issues. Um, and I think, you know, like with everything, there can be a, a part that's good and a part that's bad. And, and the bad part, I think, is that sometimes kids nowadays can come in or parents come in with a diagnosis that maybe they found online or on social media um, and we can get hyper-focused on diagnoses in, in these, in that like, intake or not with us, but with the client and trying to help them just see it as something bigger as development and changing. And, and again, there are some diagnoses that there is a med for that where that's really crucial and important, but it's usually less important about the diagnosis and more about the process. Yeah. Helping kids see that. Well put. Thanks, Dunk. I do think there was, uh, you, you had mentioned before, uh, you know, 20 years ago, it was it the same? Uh, and no, I don't think it was the same. Uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago, there was a different problem back then. It was, I think, these things were much less recognized mm -hmm. and glossed over as problem kids. And um, the problem sort of swung the other way. And there's a lot of recognition, but sometimes there's too much recognition. Yeah. And kids who are looking for answers and parents who are looking for answers will jump on diagnoses and oppositional defiant disorder and pathologize or make problems out of things which are really normal. And yeah. um, it's a pretty big percentage of our work that is trying to fix that as well. Hey, you know, this is normal. Yeah. And part of the process of getting older and growing up. Yeah. We have parents who come to the parenting group. So, um, I think some of them are actually going to write up some questions for us, which will be really fun that we'll have for our, maybe our next podcast that we can bring actual questions to answer for people. Then we don't have to write our own and pretend we actually have followers. 
We did that on our, our first mock podcast. We had a, a fake follower call in. It was it's actually kind of Vicky's husband. Yes. I guess he's not a fake caller. He's a real follower. He's a real follower. He's actually asking about your kids. I think he was really looking for help. Yeah. What was the question? Do you remember? I have no idea. How do I make my kid do homework? That was it. That's a very common question that we get. And our kids don't even have homework. And we have a super easy answer, but we're going to have to wait till next podcast to tell you. Perfect. (laughs) So... Anyways, hope you've enjoyed so far. We've had a good time. So, Vicky, I don't think we did too badly today. Not horrible. No. Nope. Good start. It was better than the first time. So, anyways, um, hopefully we get to podcast number two soon. And thanks. Have a good day. Yes, thank you for joining us.